Lord God, thank you for this morning. God, as we always say, we know that your presence is in this place. God, I ask that we would be good stewards of that this morning. God, as uh, Pastor Joe goes forward and shares what um, you have put on his heart for us today, I just ask that his words would be yours, um, that your spirit would be abundant and present and obvious, God. Um, Lord, I ask that very simply, Joe would be an effective conduit for your spirit this morning, God. Lord, thank you again for this morning. We love you. Amen. I almost took your coffee. <laughs> I want to, um, I forgot two announcements that are kind of important. So I want to call your attention to them. Uh, some of you aren't necessarily aware of the church's traditions, and that's okay. Uh, we celebrate a season called Lent, and that's the, the seven weeks before Easter. And Lent kicks off with an Ash Wednesday service on March 2nd. So write this down on your calendars, March 2nd, 6 o'clock, in the Upper Sanctuary. Um, we'd love to have you join us for that. It's a season where we invite God to prepare our hearts for what Easter really is. The second thing that I forgot to announce is um, there's a six-foot-tall trophy in the church office. That trophy, we would love to see it go to a new home, but uh, that trophy represents the winner of the March Madness brackets. And March Madness is right around the corner because we're going to kick that off actually next week. So uh, Tom will share a little bit more about that next week, but be thinking of March Madness. I've been watching a lot of basketball in our house, and my wife said to me yesterday for the first time, I think in our 21 years of marriage, she said, I think I'm actually ready to make an educated guess for the brackets. I'm like, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> um, but with all that being said, we are here today not for March Madness and not for upcoming things. We're here this morning right now to worship the Lord and to receive teaching and instruction. Last week, Tom did a wonderful job of unpacking some questions that we have about faith and showing you where the answers are rooted in Scripture. One of the things Pastor Tom brings to the table is a, a tremendous gift in historical stuff. His ability to retain information with historical reliability is really good, and uh, he's fascinated by that. We uh, jokingly call him Rabbi Tom. But uh, he's not a rabbi, he is Pastor Tom, but uh, the, his study is, is, is evident, and uh, thank you for a great word last week. And then Melody gave us our opening week of our sermon series titled Rewind, right, where she shared about the need for Jesus. And uh, I was reading again an article of uh, a person who talked about wanting to go back, if he could go back in time, the one person he would want to go back and talk to was Jesus. And do you remember what Melody said about that? That we don't have to go back in time to talk to Jesus. That Jesus is alive forevermore. And he's present with us right now. I'm not a, a great farmer. We have animals. Whenever we try to uh, grow things, it fails miserably. 
I love when people give us plants as long as you understand that they have a life expectancy of exactly three days in our house. Friday night was uh, senior night for our girls in basketball and Taylor was given a, a beautiful bouquet of, I think they were tulips, I don't really, I'm not real good at this stuff, okay? I think there were tulips she was given and we brought them home and we heat with firewood, I should tell you, on the front end of this, okay? So you can kind of imagine where this is going. Friday night was kind of cold in our house and those tulips were sitting on the table on Saturday and they were very quickly dying. We weren't even going to make it to three days. <laughs> like they were wilting and probably because it was really chilly in our house in the mornings. But, you know, there's something to be said about nature and life and before I share with you the scripture for today, I want to give you a little illustration. I love these things. Can anybody see that? It's really small. It's significantly larger than a mustard seed. It's a sunflower seed. I like these for various reasons. One of them is uh, the birds love them. And uh, it's fun to watch the birds come in and experience that. But sunflower seeds um, produce something really beautiful. I think we have a picture of it because I, I, I can't grow sunflowers and bring it in for you. That just doesn't happen. But you know what the byproduct is of a sunflower seed, right? It's a sunflower. That's, that's not a trick question. It's a, it's a real thing. You plant a sunflower seed and you get a sunflower, right? This is not, this is not trick questions. I know sometimes I, I set you up for things. This is not that. So I, I got some sunflower seeds. I was thinking about throwing them out, but then I thought that Jazz would probably get really mad at me making a mess in the sanctuary this morning. But uh, these tiny little things produce giant sunflowers. Fun fact about sunflowers is they kind of move with the sun. Did you know that? And they face the sunlight, and it's just a beautiful thing. Um, but if this sunflower seed sits in this bucket, will it ever become a sunflower? No. I mean, I could add some things to it and add a little bit of water and maybe give it some sunlight, I guess, outdoors. But if it stays a seed, I mean, it has nothing really. Today we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul about death. That that seed actually isn't what becomes the sunflower. The seed must die and it's something completely different when it comes to life. One of the questions that I get asked fairly frequently, um, and probably because I'm an expert, I don't know about that, but uh, at least in the world of Christianity, I'm one who should have some knowledge about something. And one of the things that people want to know about is life after death. My daughter Riley, she's the youngest of the Pasco three. My daughter Riley and I had a conversation about this just the other day. She's asking me some questions that I can't answer, and I'm like, oh, boy. Tough questions about what, what earth will be like when Jesus comes again. I didn't prompt that question. It just kind of came to her. She wondered if we'd have automobiles. I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> the Bible doesn't give us a very clear answer to that. Maybe some of your kids have asked some difficult questions about what happens after we die. Oftentimes, death is met with a lot of fear and anxiety. And to be frank, people will think about anything but that. 
Tom shared last week the significance of Christ in his resurrection from the dead. Remember that? And the historical reliability that there has in fact been a man who was raised from the dead. There's been a few of them actually. But Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God who was dwelling within him. And the scripture is going to tell us today that we who are in Christ will be raised from the dead also. Before I get into that though, I want to give you a little bit of information that might be helpful. A lot of times people ask questions about heaven and uh, life after death and they look for answers outside of the scriptures. And we really shouldn't do that. We really should stick close to the scriptures for answers about things that the scriptures have answers to especially. I can tell you a couple of things. One is that heaven is not is not human's final resting place, okay? The Bible tells us very clearly that God created the heavens and the earth and that the earth was populated by humans. And he created it for us. The Bible tells us at the end of Revelation that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That new earth is the place where humanity, who is raised with Christ, will dwell. One person uh, explained heaven as kind of like a bus stop. Have any of you been on a, on a bus tour? If you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So you get on the bus, you go from point A to point B, C, D, or however many stops are along the way. And every time you get off the bus, you get back on the bus and your, your, your goal, your final destination is back to where you started, right? You're not packing your bags and going across the country and living there, although some of you have done that. <laughs> a bus trip, you start somewhere, you make stops, and then you end back where you began. And there's great hope in that, actually. There's great hope in that. And uh, many of us in America, especially, are not real familiar with, with suffering or persecution. But kind of a little bit of backdrop. And Tom unpacked kind of the, the letter, that first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians last week. But a, a little bit of a backdrop in the first century. Remember, the infant mortality rate was like 50%. The life expectancy of people wasn't much out of the 30s and 40s. Life was short. For many of the Christians that Paul is writing to, they were, were very confident that they were going to die. This is why this message of hope was so important. It wasn't about the good life now. In fact, Paul said the exact opposite, right? He said, if this is all that there is, we, have, we should be pitied the most. Our hope is actually in the resurrection and the life that will come. So with that kind of backdrop, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. I know that uh, in the past several weeks we've been inviting you to stand. I'm going to invite you to just remain seated and just listen for a minute to the reading of Scripture. It's a larger section. We're not going to read the whole thing. But it would, be, it would be helpful for you, if you want to know a little bit more, it'd be helpful to read all of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians again. And uh, a couple of things just to kind of be mindful of. This is the end of Paul's letter. So this is the ending, and we're getting towards the very end of it. And, and he's capturing a couple of really important things that he doesn't want them to forget. Have you ever read a book and realized that it's all kind of summarized in the end? It's kind of like the sermon, right? No, don't fall asleep. Somebody t I told that the other day, and somebody says, well, so I can sleep for the first 29 minutes, and as long as I wake up by the 30th, I'm good to go. Like, no! 
But this is Paul's like, he's really wanting to make sure that they understand this, right? And uh, I'm going to pick up with verse 35, but I want to read to you the first couple of verses again, just to remind you of where we've been and where we're going. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And then he says this, by this gospel, you are saved. And if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise, you have believed in vain. So we fast forward to uh, verse 35. It says, and, and this is the dialogue that's going on before we get into the text. People are asking questions. They want to know what happens in life after death. This is not new to Riley Pasco, right? She's not the first one to ask, hey, what will my body be like? Maybe some of you have thought about that. I'll, I'll tell you that you're going to get version 2.0, right? It's going to be an upgraded and an updated version. The first one is flawed. The second one will be beautiful. It says, someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Paul exhorts and says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as God has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. And I want to fast forward to verse 20, 42 there. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and it is raised imperishable. Underline perishable and imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Underline dishonor and underline glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Underline weakness and underline power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Underline natural body and spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. This is actually Adam. Adam and Eve, the first created humans. The last Adam, as Paul refers to Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth, or you and I. And as, is, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven or those in Christ. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And he says this, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or we will not all die, but we will all be changed. I heard a, a great podcast this week that said what we're navigating isn't um, COVID fatigue or political fatigue, but what we're navigating right now is change fatigue. 
and people are longing for some consistency. How many of you have had your kids have to navigate quarantine and maybe you've had to navigate that and things get canceled quickly and started back up and change fatigue is real. But the gospel says that we will all be changed. And then he says this, and this sounds a lot like his writings in other places, especially to the Thessalonians. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And then he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal, then the saying that is written will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Writes the prophet Hosea. And then he leaves you with this. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Because God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this fantastic word. Therefore, my dear brethren, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, uh, we have a, a couple of talking points, I think, for this morning. I've already kind of given you a little bit about the transformation. Make sure that as you're looking to what life will be like after death, you get your answers from the book that talks about life after death. Don't just gather what Hollywood has depicted or what a novel has depicted. Get your answers from the book of life. And they're there. If you're not sure, seek out someone who is more spiritually mature than yourself and ask them the tough questions. And understand that some things need to be left with I don't know. If we believe God, and we believe that God has our best interest at heart, then we can be okay with an I don't know answer. It was one of the most humbling things when Riley asked me questions that I don't know the answer to. As a man and as her father, she's been the one that has challenged me the most. Ashley asks me good theological questions, but they're always about practical things. Riley asked me the supernatural theology questions, and I'm like, oh, I got nothing there. We're driving along, and she said to me one day, she says, Dad, I don't want Jesus to come back right now. I'm like, that's kind of strange for a Christian to say. Why not, right? Well, we're not with Mom. You can kind of see where the train of thought is going, right? So how will we find each other in, in the new earth? I'm like, that's a good question that I don't know the clear answer to, but I do know the God that created the heavens and the earth, and I do know the promises in Scripture that we will be with one another again, and uh, I'm going to trust him because he's trustworthy in that. Okay, and away we went. (laughs) 
Sometimes I wish that my faith would be like Riley's. In affirming a bodily resurrection, Paul is not advocating for some weird zombie apocalypse. So put that out of your mind. Like, there's not going to be the walking dead. There's not going to be these bones. I mean, it's not going to be like that. Okay, that's not biblical. That's not who we are to be, right? It, we will be resurrected beings with a new version, a version 2.0 of what God originally gave us. It will be perfected. There will be no more pain. Amen? Some of you like pain. No more suffering. Amen? Right? No more tears, it says. The scripture says no more tears, no more crying, right? And you know what else there won't be? There will be no more death. Friends, that should be some good news. That should be some really good news, actually. Death doesn't have the final say, but it appears at times in our world that it does. And we live our lives as Christians sometimes as if it does, don't we? We process through like everything has to be perfect in this world, forgetting that there is something better and perfect to come. I love how some of my professors put it. We, don't, we live in the status of already and not yet. What do we live in the status of already having received? This is really important to your faith. We've already received the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit that God is indeed real and God is indeed active in the world now even though we don't always understand it. What has not yet come? The new earth. Jesus hasn't yet returned again. I want to take you back to the creed just for a moment. Each week when I, when I lead us in worship, we walk through the Apostles' Creed. Now, the creed is not verbatim scripture, so it's, you're not going to read in like Acts chapter 2, I believe in God the Father Almighty, okay? But what the creeds do is they take scriptures and promises of God and put them together in a space where we can all recite them and remember them, retain them, right? So we know that through our creed and also through the scriptures that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, until he comes again. That's the not yet. If you recite the creed and you believe the creed, then you also stated that you believe in the resurrection from the dead. God meets us right where we are in a broken status. Paul articulates that when he talks about the seed that is dying, right? And God has not left you or I alone, although at times it feels like it, doesn't it? And our emotions kind of start to win the day. If I could give you a couple of words of encouragement in those moments when you're feeling broken and all alone, like you're on an island with people all around you and nobody's listening, if I could give you a couple of words of encouragement, this is not the end. This isn't the end. If I could also encourage you to go back to what we know to be true because God has said it about himself. Do you believe? Do you believe that God is present everywhere at all times? You got to think about that for a moment. Because the scriptures unpack that he is. 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. Where can I go to escape from your presence, O God? That's right. Nowhere. Which means that even though you may feel like God isn't there and that you're all alone, God really is indeed there. The early Christians were struggling with how they were going to navigate life in a post-resurrection of Jesus world where there was a lot of hostility. I don't know what it's like to be persecuted for the faith. I know what it's like to not really have people like me because I'm a Christian, but I don't know what it's like to be persecuted for the faith. Some of you might have experienced that. I've had a, a friend who was planting a church ministry and he said, he said, I've been arrested for the faith. I'm like, Harold, that is fascinating. Tell me more. He had been arrested at a college that he was standing up for religious rights at. And he told me a little bit about life being cuffed and stuffed. I'm like, huh, when I was cuffed and stuffed, it wasn't for religious rights. I don't know what persecution really is. I know what it is to not have people agree with me. I know what it is to not have people think I'm uh, right. And to voice their opposition to that very clearly. I don't know what it is to really be persecuted. I can tell you that over the last couple of weeks, my heart has been grieving for the world. As I've watched in Ukraine and Russia, the tension rise. It's a little easy to sit close to home where it's fairly safe for the most part, right? And to watch it on the screen or to read it in the news. But my heart's been breaking for Christians who are being persecuted, not just for the faith, but in life right now. You know what the church is doing? They're recording that they're gathering together for prayer in Ukraine. I wonder what my response would be if war was knocking at the door of Chautauqua County. Would my first response be to go to prayer? Would it be to take up arms and fight? Would it be to run? I don't know. I've never been there. I've been in difficult situations and I've seen what my past experiences tell me. But my brothers and sisters in other parts of the world right now are gathering on their knees and praying to God for protection and also for provision. God meets us where we are in the brokenness. He also tells us that we can't stay where we are. We must be moving forward. There is no such thing as static faith, okay? There's no such thing as as static faith or just Sunday-only Christians. Sunday-only Christians aren't actually Christians. They're just people that come and do religious things. In faith, we are always moving, always moving forward. And it looks different for different people, and I want to encourage you in that. Whatever it may look like for you right now, just be doing it. You remember... um, Remember Christmas? It was like two months ago, but it felt kind of like today because it was cold and snowy and blowy. Remember the, one of the songs that our children sang up front? It's one of the favorite, right? Away in a manger, no crib. Right? You remember that song, right? Remember the verse that goes, uh, I got I to gotta look at my notes here. It says, bless all the dear children in your tender care. What's the next line? Ha ha! 
That, that is the next line, right? And we often translate it and take us to heaven, but actually the original song says, and fit us for heaven to live with you there. Not take us. Don't remove us from this situation, oh God, but prepare us. What's the difference between taking us and fitting us? One has the mindset that I got to get out of here. The other has, Lord, I've got work to do here. Prepare me for whatever it is. Paul knew the struggles that the early church was facing. And this resurrection of the body became a, a stumbling block for many people. What do you have to look forward to? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer out loud. What are you looking forward to? You see, hope gives us something to live for right now. If you're only looking forward to, in, in, our, in our westernized way of retirement, then when, when retirement comes, what else is there? Or when retirement doesn't look the way that you had dreamed it looking. I've talked to a lot of people whose retirements didn't go the way they planned. Life took some different turns along the way. Or maybe it's a family. And the family doesn't turn out the way that you envisioned it to turn out or doesn't happen maybe at all the way that you thought it would. What do you have to look forward to? I would encourage you not to stay in the brokenness, but to press in towards Jesus. To continually be moving forward. Paul encourages the church that we can't stay static. And I want to give you four things as we wrap this up. Because the end game is to be spiritually filled and perfected. So that version 2.0 looks exactly like we anticipated it to look like. He leaves them with this. Remember, I told you I'd come back to the therefore. He says, therefore, and whenever we see that in Scripture, so as you're reading your Bible, if you see the, the word therefore, you know what you should do? You should ask yourself, what on earth is it there for? Right? And then start to dig into that a little bit. Because there's some nuggets of gold found in that. And he says this to him as he gives him these last few words of encouragement. This is what I want to leave you with today. He says, uh, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Underline that. I want to encourage you today, church, to not waver on the good news. To not compromise the faith at all. To stand no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how complicated things are, no matter how, how bad it is. Don't waver. Stand firm. I've used this language about salvation a few different times, that there is a, there's saving faith. So that moment when we experience the grace of God and we become part of the family of God, right? There's saving faith. Then there's sustaining faith. And that's the faith that we have that kind of takes us through life and helps us to navigate some of the difficulties. But then there's also a sure-footed faith. A faith that no matter what presses in against us, 
we aren't knocked over, right? We are firmly planted on the ground. And Paul said that to the, this early church. Stand firm then, brothers. He says, let nothing move you. If you want to have great confidence in what is to come, you need to not be swayed by what culture says is right. You need to not be swayed, now hear me very carefully on this next one, by what your emotions are telling you in a moment. Emotions are gifts from God. They're also one of the greatest tools of the enemy of our souls. As we experience life in the fullness of that, the enemy uses our emotions to bring doubt and despair and hopeless thoughts. And always, I'm not a huge fan of all-inclusive words because I'm learning that words actually carry a whole lot of weight and meaning. But when the Lord says always, we should probably pay attention to it. He says always give yourself to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If the work that we are doing is for the Lord, nothing can stand against us. Neither trouble or persecution or famine or sword, not even death, which is the final peace that God will give us victory over. The final, the final enemy, it says, is death. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives you and I and those in Christ the victory. Friends, when you do this, when you are rooted in faith and you stand firm and nothing moves you in life, and you always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, the seeds that are sown will be raised to life. And that is good news. Before I close out in prayer, I want to invite you to do something. Many of you are sitting with family members and, and other people. I just invite you to, to put your hand on the, on the person next to you, just for a moment. And uh, if you're not sitting near anybody, I'm going to be the, the long arm. And I just want to teach you a blessing that God gives to us to give to each other. And it goes like this. It says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord God Almighty give you peace. Jesus, thank you for your church. God, thank you for the hope that is being stirred within us. God, as we navigate life today, may we stand in resurrection power, knowing what has already come and what is yet to come. May your church be a beacon of hope and of faith and of life. And God, may we be a blessing to others. Jesus, thank you for not leaving us as orphans, but coming quickly to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. This morning, Lord, for those who have struggled with life after death, may they find in you resurrection alone. 
May they know that this world does not have the final say, but that you do, Jesus. And that you who brought Jesus to life will give life to this, the bodies that you have given us by the Spirit who dwells within us. Father, may we experience the lights of glory and live in the fullness and the promise of that today and all the days of our life, that we may be an encouragement for others in Jesus' name. Amen.